The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning. Good morning. I want to welcome everyone in the name of Jesus Christ. May His grace and His peace be upon you this morning. I am so grateful for this new building, but there is one thing for sure. When it rains, we're going to know it. (laughs) Speaking of the rain, my daughter Bella is playing right now in that torrential downpour. So one of two things are happening. Either she is having the time of her life, or she is totally miserable, and I'll hear about it for the rest of the day. So we're hoping for the first one but it'll be okay if it's the second one as well. I want to echo what Monty said in the leader moment earlier. I am grateful for this new place. It's a gift. And it's not only a gift in terms of space to us, but it truly is a gift that we were able to sell the building on May Avenue and have enough to buy this place outright and renovate it. That is a gift. We are debt-free. Which means we have an incredible opportunity in response to this gift. It means that when you give, when you give online or put your offering in the basket, it means you're not paying for a building. You're not not giving towards a building. It means you are not giving to pay off some debt. Every time you give, you are giving to ministry or ministry support, that's an opportunity that everyone can join in together and can sacrifice and give directly for ministry or in support of ministry. So I want to encourage us. Let's respond to this gift and to the opportunities that God has given us. We're also grateful for the opportunity for Let's Start Talking to be working with us in Friend Speak. My dear friend Mark Woodward is here today, taught the adult Bible class. He's going to be doing the Friend Speak training. So I'm very happy for all of you who have signed up, and I pray God will develop relationships through this Friend Speak, that he will bless you by his spirit through this opportunity, and he'll bless those who come and want to practice their conversational English. And it's appropriate that we have Let's Start Talking here today because one of the things, the very first book they use in their friend speak is the Gospel of Luke. And we've just begun last week our series, Luke, the Spirit-Powered Gospel. And so if you turn with me in your Bibles, or you can look on the screen, we'll be in Luke chapter 2. beginning in verse 21. The word of the Lord says this, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And when they came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. 
a pair of doves, and two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was a righteous and devout man. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And so moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary, what was the custom of the law, what it required, Simeon took him in his arms and praising God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may, dismiss, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce her own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. And coming up to them, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. And when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we always are, we are grateful for your word. And in this moment when your word is before us and when you are speaking to us, give us ears to hear. And not only ears to hear, but hearts to follow. And God, I pray for faithfulness in the gift of preaching. It's in the name of your word to us, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I was a missionary in Uganda for a little over six years. And one of the things that struck me when I first got to Uganda was I would go to a property, I would go to somebody's land, and there was nothing on it, it would just be a field, and I'd see a big pile of sand. I'd wonder, what's that sand doing there? So one day I asked, what, what's, what's this sand? It's like, oh, well, it's the sand that, that we're planning on building. We want to build something, and well, we need sand to mix with the, the cement. So I begin seeing this all over Uganda, but not only sand, I would see piles of sand and I would see piles of bricks. And this wasn't an odd thing necessarily, except that what I noticed over time is that if I went someplace and there was a pile of sand and a pile of bricks, 
I would be gone maybe for a year and come back to that place and it'd be the same pile of sand and the same pile of bricks. And I said, what is, what's going on here? I thought they were building something. And then when visitors would come, we'd drive from Kampala all the way back to the town, about two and a half hours to Ginger where we lived. And people would always notice, wow, there's a lot of construction going on. And I would half serious, half make a joke saying, yeah, kind of. See, if you come back this time next year, you're going to see the half-built buildings as well. And if you come back two years later, it'll probably look exactly the same. And this verse came to mind that Jesus said. And I really kind of scoffed at Ugandans in this way. I'm not proud of this moment, but I remember thinking, yeah, they don't really know when Jesus says, who begins to build a building and doesn't count the cost? Because in my mind, I was thinking, they're not counting the cost. They're just putting trips of sand and bricks, and they're breaking, and they're building halfway, and they're not paying attention, and they get halfway, and they run out of money, and this is a disaster. This is not how you build things. Until I spent some time and paid attention. And what I thought was happening was poor planning and poor managing of funds. But then one day, my view of all that just changed. Because what I realized was, it wasn't poor planning and a change of uh, poor management of funds. Is that most of the people I knew there didn't have bank accounts. And so every time they get enough money, they go buy a trip of sand. And that was an investment in the future. That was the way they say. And then when they got enough, enough money, they go buy some bricks, and that's what they do. And then they get a little bit more money, and they get some cement. And it may take them 5, 10, 15 years to build their house. But what I thought was not the way you should do it. My mind as a Western, I said, that's not how you do it. Ugandans were patient in their suffering. They were very patient in their suffering. And every time they put sand or bricks or anything on that property, that was an act of hope. And it totally changed the way I viewed what was going on in Uganda. When we come to our text, it says that Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple. And it says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was a righteous and devout man. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him that the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before the Lord, before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. And so moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. And when he saw Mary and Joseph and the child, he went up. And this stranger just grabs Jesus out of their arms, out of Mary and Joseph's arms. And he begins singing this song. He begins with this, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. We don't know how old Simeon is. We don't know how old he is. It doesn't tell us. But it appears as if he is saying, God, I've seen the Savior. 
Now you can dismiss. Because God had promised, the Holy Spirit had promised Simeon that he would see God's Messiah before he died. And it seems that in his song, in his response to this, he says, now I can go. So it's almost as if you have this very old man who's been waiting a long time. He's a righteous man. He's a devout man, which means he treated people well. He was devout in his faith to God. And the Holy Spirit was on him, which, by the way, in the Old Testament doesn't happen. The Holy Spirit visits people, but this is not a common thing for to rest on him, as if it's rested on him his whole life. And so when he gets this promise, you get in this psalm or this, this praise that he gives to God, you get this idea, he says, now my eyes have seen, now you can let me go in peace. You get this idea, he has been waiting for this moment a long time. Simeon is patient. Galatians 5.22 says one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. Now, patience is a word that we use all the time to have patience, but the real essence of the word that they're talking about there is, is this definition, that if you're patient, that means you can suffer for a long time. Patience is long-suffering. And when we usually think about the fruits of the Spirit, we usually think those are gifts of the Spirit to us, and they are, but it's not exactly how we might think that they're given. Simeon is a righteous person. He's given his whole life to God and is seeking the Holy Spirit. And he has welcomed the Holy Spirit into his life, and he has trusted the promises of the Holy Spirit, and he follows the Spirit where the Spirit leads. And Simeon has waited and been patient for a long time. When you rely on the Holy Spirit, you develop patience. When you rely on the Holy Spirit, it's not that God just gives you patience, it's that when you're following the Spirit, it may mean you may wait and have long-suffering. Because God's timing is not your timing. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So next time you're impatient with God, think about those good fruits. Think about Simeon. He goes on to say this. He says... For my eyes have seen your salvation. In verse 25, it says that Simeon had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. What's interesting about it here is that when he says, I've seen your salvation, which he says when he sees Jesus, he sees God's salvation. He connects that back. What he means is, is that this is the consolation of Israel, that salvation equals consolation. And particularly, consolation for those that suffer. Because it was widely known that before the Messiah came, that there would be a time of great suffering. 
So that way when the Messiah came, there would be this proper response of being consoled. It would be good news. And so Israel actually sits in this exact place. When Jesus comes, Israel is under occupation of the Romans. And then, around the time Luke writes his gospel, Christians are experiencing, and Israel is experiencing the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. So when they hear this word salvation, they think just that. This is consolation for our suffering. Long-suffering and consolation to suffering. And then he goes on to say this. That Jesus is the light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. It's not just Israel who will be consoled in their suffering, but now Simeon announces it's for all. This is universal. And that word has been particularly important to the church very early on. The church took up this word, universal. And it says, yes, we are the church, we are the universal church. And what they meant by that, what you have to understand is, is that in the first century world, everybody has their own gods. And gods are connected with particular types of people or ethnicities or nations. And gods have their places. So, for example, the Jews have their god. The Greeks have their god. The Persians have their god. The Egyptians have their gods. And the gods live in temples. The gods live in certain places. So they're regional and they're for particular people. But when Jesus shows up, Christians say, no, he's Lord of all. Not just of Jewish people, but he's Lord of all people. Persians, Egyptians, Greeks, Romans. And this is incredibly radical because God the gods of people are confined to specific places and specific people. And so you can imagine Israel now they have to consider welcoming those Romans. Those Romans, the ones that are making them suffer. It's universal. And this is actually why so many people, in spite of persecution, come to the church because it's this universal. This is something radically different than anything they've experienced. Because Jesus is Lord of all. And then after his hymn that Simeon sings to God, Joseph and Mary marveled at what he said, and Simeon blessed them. And then he says to them in verse 34, he says, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the hearts of many will be revealed. The way God works to this child will cause division among God's people. 
Some will rise, some will fall, some will confess, some will speak against him. But be sure of this, that the hearts of people will be revealed. And so the real question is, what is it about it that divides? I mean, what is it about Jesus that divides? This is not what he came to do. And for Simeon, this is what he's talking about. What, what will divide Israel, what will divide God's people is how this God works. When he announces what God is up to and when Jesus comes into the world and they figure out what he's up to, it actually starts to divide people. Particularly people that are God's people. That's not his intention. But the issue is that some can't quite accept or fathom a couple of things. One, Simeon waits a long time. He waits a lifetime to see what God is up to. And if you want to know and be a part of what God is up to, you must be patient. You must have long-suffering. Not being patient tends to divide up people, doesn't it? When I'm not patient with my wife and my kids, there tends to be conflict. And I think they're the source of it. And by the way, those who can't accept and fathom think Jesus is the source of it. Because they can't suffer long. And it's appropriate that those that have long suffering will rise because God's salvation is defined as the consolation for those who suffer. Israel suffered. And those Gentiles are the ones that are causing it. And so many in Israel will fall because they cannot accept or fathom that this salvation, this consolation is for them as well, for those Gentiles who are the source of our suffering. Also, there's this belief that's actually from the Deuteronomy. It's actually from the book of Deuteronomy. It's this equation that works out over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Proverbs that the righteous will prosper and the wicked will suffer. That's how God works. Don't you know this is how God works? Righteous people prosper, wicked people suffer. And so when Jesus comes in the Gospel of Luke, there's the poor, there's the lame, the blind, those who have leprosy and they are consoled they are consoled in their suffering and so many can't fathom you're not the Messiah because they're suffering for a reason because of their sin and Jesus turns the whole thing on them and says no these are the ones I've come to They can't fathom or accept it. 
And then he goes on finally to say this, this odd phrase that he tells Mary. This is actually directed to Mary. And he says, and a sword will pierce your soul as well. And he's talking to Mary as if, Mary, there's a double-edged sword that's going to just pierce you as well. And what he's referring to there, Mary, the mother of Jesus, he's saying, in the future, you're going to have to watch your son die, and it'll pierce your soul. And it's this prophecy, it's this looking ahead to the end of the gospel, knowing what's coming, that Simeon gives this prophecy and he says this, Jesus will suffer. When you wait on the Holy Spirit, there's long suffering. And when he comes, he comes to consult those who are suffering. And this is how what God is up to. God is actually up to saving the world through suffering. Because Jesus is going to suffer, and Mary's going to suffer watching him die. I didn't understand what my Ugandan friends were doing. I actually, I actually spoke against what they were doing, and I scoffed at the way they worked and how they built things. But my Ugandan brothers and sisters were patient in their suffering. And they acted in hope. And when I experienced that, my way of seeing the world changed. They were patient in their suffering and they acted in hope like Elizabeth who was barren and had no hope until God came and blessed them, blessed her with a son, John. They were patient in suffering and acted in hope like Mary, who said, how can this be? But then praise God, who takes those who are in a lowly state and raises them up. They were patient in suffering and acted in hope like the shepherds we read about this morning that left their fields and left their sheep to see the Savior, an act of hope. They were patient in suffering and acted in hope like Anna in our text this morning. And there was a prophet, Anna, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. And she had lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 years old. Do you hear that? We have no idea when she got married, but it seems she was married for seven years. If she was married at the age that most women were married at, she was fairly young. We're talking widowed for 50 to 60 years. That's long-suffering. And it says that she never left the temple, but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. That's suffering as well. 60 years as a widow, patient, and every day coming in, fasting, praying, 
worshiping, giving of herself and suffering for God. And she came up to Jesus and his parents and she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She has long suffering. She suffers. She's consoled in her suffering and then she proclaims to everyone this universal salvation. Those who are looking forward to the redemption, to the consolation, to the salvation. God is working in this way through his spirit. He's working through patience, long-suffering. God is working to console those who suffer. And his offer is salvation to all. Simeon and Anna are those who follow God's spirit. And they know what God's up to. They are patient on the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Simeon and Anna, they know what God is up to because they are patient on the Holy Spirit. They know what God is up to because they suffer. And they know what God is up to because they embrace God's universal work of consolation and salvation. This is an act of hope. So the question to you and I today is can you hope in God's Spirit? Can you hope in what God is up to? Let's dance.